this summer. This morning, I want to, um, to bring one more message that's, that's really was given birth in the second call to awakening. As we met and continued to pray for God to bring a fresh move of his spirit in our church, um, when we're asking the Holy Spirit uh, to move and do new work among us, um, and coming out of that, we just wanted to take some time to talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit is about, what it means to be a spirit-filled people, to live spirit-filled lives. Um, so we've been there for several weeks. And, and I think you know, one of the ways that may be helpful to think about the work and the nature of the Holy Spirit is to think about uh, what he brings to us as God's people. Um, and it's interesting that these things all start with a P. So let me just share with you, uh, the first P is presence. Presence. The Holy Spirit is literally the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of God with us. When the Holy Spirit is present, God is present. Jesus once said that where two or more are gathered, there I am in your name. Now, he is with us individually, but there is something very powerful that happens when the Holy Spirit who is living in me connects with the Holy Spirit who is living in you, and the Spirit brings the presence of Christ in a very powerful, very real way. Um, the presence of Christ is in one sense always with us, but there are times when his presence is made manifest, when we can almost see and sense and touch his spirit because it is so rich, so thick. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us the presence of Christ. Jesus said just before he was crucified, on the last night that he was with his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send my spirit, the comforter, and he will be with you. There is nothing more precious that the Holy Spirit brings than simply the presence of Jesus Christ. But he also brings purity. Purity. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Spirit-filled life. He establishes that beachhead in our life, and then he begins to transform us one day at a time, one, one thing at a time. He begins to root out things that are not of God and pour in things that are of God. And in the process, we begin to be healed, made whole. Our character is changed. We receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things that reflect the, the, the very character of Jesus now begins to be reflected in us. So our character is changed. Our hearts are purified. And we begin to experience victory over sin in this life. Then there's a third P, and that's power. The Holy Spirit is also, um, his, part of his uh, purpose is to bring us power. Uh, he, is, uh, he is to pour out uh, on us uh, the, the presence of God that brings power through the gifts of the Spirit. Not only do we receive the character of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, but we also receive the gifts of the Spirit that enable us to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did. 
Again, in John 14, the night before he was betrayed, Jesus makes this incredible statement that that really is mind-boggling. And he says to us, it's actually good for you that I go back to the Father. I will send you my Holy Spirit, and you will do the same kinds of things that I've been doing. And then he says this, even greater things will you do because I go back to the Father. He has filled us with his spirit. He has empowered us to actually carry on his ministry, doing the same kinds of things that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. And he does that by giving us the gifts of his spirit, uh, by working in us and through us miracles of healing and deliverance and transformation. So the Holy Spirit is about power as well. I'll repeat something that I shared a few weeks ago that that just bears repeating often. One of the things that has happened in the history of the American church uh, a little over 100 years ago is that there was this huge debate about the Holy Spirit that focused on purity and power. One, uh, one group within the church, and this was cross-denominational. This all, it, it was happening everywhere in the church in that time in our nation. It, it sprung out of the Azusa Street Revival. If you know anything about that revival, there was this great debate. Is the Holy Spirit mostly about power, miracles, gifts, or is the Holy Spirit mostly about purity, character, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The church debated and debated, argued, fought, and they finally just said, we, can't dis- we cannot agree, so we're going to go in separate directions. And they departed and left each other. And there was a breach uh, in this understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And it's one of the greatest tragedies in the history of the church. Because it was never an either or, it was a both and. The Holy Spirit is about presence, purity, and power. He is all of those things, and we need to receive him and, and, uh, and embrace him in all of those parts of our lives. But I want to say this morning, and this one is particularly appropriate for today as we commission this new church, there is a fourth P that is often neglected when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and that is a passion for the lost, a passion for the lost. Now, where does this idea come from? It comes directly from Acts 1.8. In Acts 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples for the very last time on earth. He tells them that if they will go and pray, that he is going to pour out his spirit. And in Acts 1.8, this is what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's one of the P's. You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Um, When we look at this scripture, we see here uh, that there is a direct correlation between the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit or receiving the Holy Spirit and being witnesses for the kingdom of God. You see, the Holy Spirit does not come and give us these gifts and give us this power and this presence only for ourselves. And when I say that, I don't just mean for me personally, but even for the church. Yes, many of the gifts and many of the things that God does bring through the Holy Spirit are meant to make us stronger, to make us uh, uh, greater as a people together. But ultimately, God does not want us to keep this to ourselves. That power is ultimately meant to launch us into mission to impact the world that is around us, 
That is one of the key purposes of the Holy Spirit is to empower you and me to be witnesses. Uh, We also see in that verse the strategy uh, of how this is good to take place. Uh, in fact, it, Acts 1.8 has also been called the, the, um, the, the table of contents for the book of Acts. Because what you see there is an outline of the entire book. They are filled with the Spirit. They were empowered to be witnesses. And then they are witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's just look at this as though it had these different um, rings. Jerusalem was home base. Jerusalem was where the church was born. Jerusalem is where the Spirit was poured out. And Jerusalem was where Jesus was speaking these words to his disciples. And he says, your first place of mission is right here in Jerusalem. But he said, you're also going to be witnesses in Judea. Judea was the state, so to speak, in which Jerusalem existed. Uh, But you're then also going to be witnesses in Samaria. Samaria was not only another state, but more importantly, Samaria was another ethnic group between which the Jews and uh, and the early Christians who were all Jews had tremendous conflict. And so Jesus is saying here, the gospel is going to break down this barrier that exists between you and the Samaritans. And you are going to reach those people that you hate. You're going to love and reach those people that you have been against. You are called into Samaria to take the gospel. And then ultimately, to the uttermost parts of the earth. To the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we have a similar target, so to speak, um, today for us. I mean, our Jerusalem is Columbus. Columbus is our Jerusalem. The community in which we live is our Jerusalem. And let me just say this, this is our first priority. Our first priority is to reach the people in this city because this is where we live first. But we also have the opportunity to stretch out to the Chattahoochee Valley. And let's just make Judea the Chattahoochee Valley. Um, We have an opportunity to reach into uh, other parts of this region, Phoenix City, um, down into Fort Benning, uh, Harris County, all around us. This would be our Judea. Our Samaria would be the United States, uh, reaching this region as a whole, the larger region around us. And of course, the uttermost parts of the world uh, is the world. And, And we live in a time where it's a miraculous time, where we actually can be a part of reaching the uttermost parts of the world personally in numbers of ways. And let me just say, by the way, at this point, there are a lot of ways in which God is blessing us, and we truly are touching all of those spheres, all those circles of influence um, right here in Columbus. And and, and I want to share a few things with you. This is not drawing on the the long list of uh, things that have happened over time, over, you know, years and years. Everything I'm about to share with you is brand new, very, very recent within the last week or two. And the first thing I want to tell you about is our community garden. Uh, you're seeing a picture of it right here. This is, uh, this is an unbelievable garden. 
Christ's community, this, 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 this dirt was um, given to, alone to us for this garden by Robert Cook, who's sitting right over here, actually. And uh, he allowed us to come in and take this field and turn it into a community garden. It, I want to tell you, there's not a nicer field anywhere in this state, I don't think. Our whole staff was out there this past week, and we got to see it up close and personal. Um, and it was just an incredible, this is an incredible garden. Um, I mean, it's the kind of thing that looks like it came out of a magazine, somebody said, while we were out there, and it does. Um, you're looking at some of the produce of that here. This is, this is really interesting. I, I texted um, Robert, and I said, now, tell me again how many pounds we've already harvested. The harvest has just started to come in in the last couple of weeks. And he said, uh, I forget the number, 290-something pounds. He texted me again yesterday. He said, you know, now we were just there like three days ago. So we came back out, and he said, well, we went back out today, and we picked another 124 pounds. So now we're up to, in the first two weeks of our community garden, 400, over 400 pounds of produce has already been gathered. We hadn't even started to get the watermelons and the cantaloupes and the, and the tomatoes and all of those kinds of things, that are the corn. Um, all of this is being given uh, to Valley Rescue Mission. This will be taken there this afternoon uh, to give to people who are in desperate need of just high-quality, good food. Uh, I just want to say publicly thank you to the team of people. And there's a whole team. It's a whole team of people that have done the work of uh, planting and preparing and now harvesting this food and uh, we've also got um, uh, from uh, we've also got community garden boxes in the back that eventually we want to begin to make available to people in our neighborhood who don't have a place for a garden. We've got space behind our church. We want to do that as well. This is a great team, and I just want to give thanks to God for the incredible work that they've been doing. I was talking to Derek this week, and um, he had just come from a meeting with uh, Richard Ilgis and Robert Nobles. Uh, many of you know that we are partners with Carver High School. Um, and Richard and uh, Derek and Robert Nobles were meeting this week to pray about how can we expand and strengthen our connection with Carver High School. So that's something that we're looking to, to strengthen right now. Uh, I had an opportunity this very week to meet with pastors from all over the city. Uh, from many, many different denominations. We came together. It was a time of, of, of just sensing that God is about to do something amazing in our city, and we want to be a part of that. Uh, as pastors, we came together and we talked about praying for our city, letting each church take a block, not a single block, but an area in our community. Uh, we're beginning to see the early stages of bringing churches together uh, to do an Every Home for Christ campaign over two years where each church would take an area and each church would go and visit every home in that area uh, just to, 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 be a, to be a witness, to let people know that God is moving in our city uh, and to reach out and meet the needs of the people right around us. We want to be a part of that kind of effort. We want to see the gospel going forward in ways that are miraculous in this city. Uh, this week, we have what we have called a week of hope. You've been hearing about it for the last several weeks, but we, Pam Bone, our, our live pastor, actually went to uh, many, well, she invited all of the local ministries that we support. 
They came in, she fed them a meal, and she said, we want to take a week to just bless you any way that we can. And those that had needs shared with her, these are the ways your church could bless us. This whole week, starting today, starting tomorrow, this whole week is called a week of hope. Uh, we're encouraging whole families. There's going to be an opportunity for children, for kids, for, for adults, whole families, if you desire to do it together, to partner with one of our uh, local ministry partners to come alongside them, to strengthen them, to encourage them, uh, to do whatever they need to do to continue to thrive. If you've not yet signed up to be a part of A Week of Hope, there's still time to do that. You can do that today. At Booth 1, you can go and see all the different ways you can serve and get involved. They would love to get you connected today. But this is a week of hope where we're going into the community, our Jerusalem, to bring the, the presence and the power and the purity of Christ into those places. Uh, we just talked earlier today about our Judea, and we have sent, uh, we've just commissioned this church into Phoenix City to, to be a sister church. Two weeks ago, we sent Jay and Casey to New Mexico. That would be our uh, Samaria. Uh, they're going to, to, to Samaria. Uh, I don't know that New Mexico would like to be called Samaria, um, but we're going to call them that this morning. That's kind of our Samaria. We have sent them to start a brand new church in New Mexico. Today, I will be on my way to Rwanda to meet a team from, and this team actually consists of people from Christ Community and Village Church in Phoenix City. We're working together to, to bring the gospel to the people of Rwanda. So you can see how we're touching all of those spheres that we looked at earlier. Um, God has given us an opportunity to touch them, but I want to say this morning that, uh, that, that we want more. We want to see God moving in us in even greater more powerful ways than he already is. I have a feeling that when Jesus said, you will do even greater things than I have done, that there is more that we can see and experience and be a part of than what we have so far. There is more. And I just want to, I want to help. Here's one thing I want to do kind of really just in closing to, to draw all of this together, I want you to see how this passion for the lost, the fourth P, connects with the other three because they do in a very powerful way. Uh, first of all, presence. Presence. If the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus, then I think one of the greatest obstacles that we have to overcome when it comes to reaching others with the gospel is met in that need where Jesus brings us his presence in the Holy Spirit. Because I want to tell you today that uh, it's not your job to create within your own heart a passion for the lost. You probably can't do that. Uh, you might have a natural tendency toward that. Some of us may be stronger than others. But here's the good news. You don't have to produce that passion in your own heart. If the Holy Spirit is the presence of Christ then that should lead to this, to this reality, that the more I abide in the presence of Christ, the more I'm going to have his heart. And let me just tell you this, his heart is very much for the broken, for the lost, the rejected, the poor, just the lost, period, in all forms, whatever shape. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, he was constantly being drawn to those who needed hope to those who needed life, to those who needed salvation. 
And if I confess this morning that I simply don't have that passion for people who are lost, the answer is not for me to try to work it up. But the answer is for me to seek the heart of Jesus. And as I get his heart, I will begin to have a passion for people who are lost. That's presence. What about purity? One of the things that we recognize and have recognized for a long, long time is that one of the greatest obstacles to reaching people who are lost is our own failure to live our own message. Uh, we talked about this just yesterday with a new class of discovery or, or getting started, a new getting started class. We, uh, we talked about the, the obstacles to reaching people with the gospel. And the number one thing every time, essentially, is hypocrisy. That the main reason that people don't believe our message is because we're not living the message we proclaim. If, we're, if our witness is going to be strong and our witness is going to be mighty, then it has to start with the purifying work of the Holy Spirit to make me who we say we are as Christians. As the Holy Spirit begins to purify me, that actually becomes my greatest witness. Let me just say to all, because many of you are probably sitting here this morning and saying, you know, I don't know that I really connect to this message. I'm not a missionary. I'm not an evangelist. Uh, You know, that's just not who I am. You aren't called necessarily to be a missionary or an evangelist. God does not call, he only calls a few to have those roles of missionary and evangelist. But what he has called every one of us to be is a witness. A witness. Every one of us as God's people are called to be witnesses. And your greatest witness will not be the words of your mouth, but the life that you live every day, week in, and week out. I can tell you that no matter where you are in the marketplace, in the schools, Fort Benning, wherever you are, if the Holy Spirit is at work in you, transforming you, purifying your heart with the, 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 the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then your life will be your greatest witness. Every day you'll be testifying to the, to the, uh, to the truth of the gospel because of the way it's impacted your life. And then there's the last one, which is power. Uh, and, and I wish I had a little more time to dig into this, but let me just say we could walk through the entire book of Acts. And one of the things that you would begin to notice is that there is a direct correlation between the power of God moving in power and the, the harvest of souls. I mean, it starts right off the bat in, uh, in Acts 2. Peter just freshly filled with the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, stands and preaches a very simple, basic gospel message, and 3,000 people are saved. Not because Peter was a great orator, because he wasn't. He was a fisherman. He wasn't even educated. An uneducated man stands and just gives a very simple message, 3,000 people are saved, because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Acts 2, later on in the same chapter, the people who are saved begin to come together and miracles are happening. Uh, God is, uh, is working great works of miracles. People are beginning to give to one another unselfishly, which is a miracle all in itself. And it says that the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. You could jump to... Um, to Acts chapter 5. The apostles were performing uh, miraculous signs and wonders. More and more people were believing and being brought to the Lord. 
It says that the Lord began to move in such ways that people were coming from other villages to hear what was happening, and people began to be saved all throughout the region. In chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria, the hated rivals of the Jews, and Philip tells them about Jesus. And in verse 6 of chapter 8, it says this, the crowd listened intently because of the miracles that had taken place through Philip's ministry. People were healed, demons were cast out, and people began to be saved on a daily basis because of the work of the the power of the Spirit. Let me just jump down to chapter 19. Paul goes to Ephesus, which, by the way, Ephesus was a city that was known for its pagan worship and its celebration of sin. Paul begins to preach the gospel. Uh, the Jews reject it, and then in chapter, in verse 11, Paul begins to, to do miracles among those who live there in Ephesus, and before long, what hap- begins to happen is that people are getting saved left and right, and it all is related back to the miracles that are taking place through the ministry of the apostles, What you see over and over again. It's where the power of God is on display people begin to be saved and made whole in Christ. Randy Clark says this, the people in Ephesus became Christians because the Christian God was more powerful than the false gods they were worshiping, than the false gods they were worshiping. Now, now let me just ask us, what do we do with all that? Particularly related to this whole matter of power. Can I just say this? I want to call us, first of all, to simple confession. Just call us to confession. And here's here's the confession. To confess that we tend to rely on our own strength when it comes to bringing the gospel to other people. Again, I think one of the reasons why most of us will say, I I don't feel comfortable doing that. I, I don't feel like I have what it takes to do that. I don't know how to step in and and be a witness. The answer is to be filled with God's Spirit, and God will give you what you do not have. God will give me what I don't have. Uh, We need to confess that that what, what typically happens is we resort to things that we can do in our own strength. We look for programs. We, we look for, for, for new strategies to be able to reach people in ways that make sense to us. I, I believe what God is saying is, would you repent of not believing and not asking for and not expecting me to move in the same ways that I moved in the early church? Can we confess that we've not even asked God sometimes to bring healing or to do miraculous things? That we need to be a people who are expecting God to do miraculous things? And can we confess our lack of belief and our lack of expectation that God would do it? And on the other side of the same coin really is to cultivate an expectation that God will move in power. To cultivate an expectation that God will move in power. That we would be a people who begin to boldly believe that God wants to do what he did in the early church. There's a great story from a a missionary named Charles Craft. Charles Craft was a missionary in Asia. Uh, He was trained in a seminary. He was sent out. Uh, He goes over, and it actually wasn't Asia, it was Africa. He goes to Africa. He begins to do his work as a missionary. 
And after several months, Charles Kraft came to a place where he was utterly and totally defeated. He saw no fruit whatsoever. He felt like he was completely helpless. And he began to, this is what he began to hear from the people. The people said to him, when we came to you as a missionary, and we came to you and said, my sister or my brother or my child is sick, the very first thing you did was to run to the doctor. When I came to you with another need, the very first thing you did was look for a human way to meet the need. You never prayed and your God never showed up. We concluded that your God is powerless, that you must not even believe in the the power of your God because you never even ask him to do anything and he never shows up. Charles Kraft came back to the U.S. completely defeated as a missionary. And then he began to experience the power of God. He began to see miracles taking place in his own life and the lives of others. And what he realized is that he had been so conditioned by American secular culture that here he was as a missionary going to the mission field and had no concept that the Holy Spirit was present and ready to work in the same kinds of ways that he worked in the early church. We've got to begin to cultivate a belief and an understanding and an awareness that the Holy Spirit desires to move in mighty ways. And then lastly, we as God's people need to proclaim to a lost and broken world God's power to save and to make us whole, to save us and make us whole. I I want to encourage you, even today, to begin praying, "Lord, Lord, who are people that need to know what you've done in my life? Who are people in my circle of influence that need to know what you have done in my life. Your greatest testimony is simply to tell the story of how God has begun to transform your life. But then I would also encourage us to take that extra step and and be bold in faith and, and begin to engage people and ask people, is it okay if I pray for you? Is it okay if I ask God to meet your need? And to begin to pray with people around you who are in need asking and expecting God to show up and to meet that need. And then as God begins to meet that need, to tell the story, to give testimony to where and how God is moving in order that all of us may grow in faith and be encouraged to be even more faithful. Uh, We want to begin to, uh, to just cultivate an environment where we are expecting, experiencing, and then proclaiming the work of God in our midst. I'm going to ask you this morning to make this very, very personal. Let me ask the worship team to go ahead and come out. Let me ask you to think about these critical questions. Have you ever truly embraced the idea that God has called you to be a witness to the people in your circle of influence? Whatever that circle is. Have you recognized that the things that we talk about here on Sunday are needed wherever you live Monday, Tuesday, throughout the week? And that God has called you to be a witness. Have you asked God to empower you to be his witness? Have you asked him to fill you with his spirit with the understanding that it's not just going to be about meeting your own needs, but about giving you the courage and the boldness and the anointing to share with people around you who are in need. And have you said, Lord, 
I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go. And I'm willing to just share my faith as you give me opportunities. I want to ask you this morning to pray. Maybe the Lord even wants to bring to your mind specific individuals that he wants you to pray for and even reach out to. But I pray that we as a people, that we as God's people here at Christ Community would understand that one of the greatest indications that a true awakening has actually happened is that it begins to leap the bounds of these walls. If all we mean by an awakening is that we want to get more excited and we want to experience more of God's presence, I want to tell you that God is probably not going to bless that prayer because God's desire is to bless us so that we might be a blessing out there. And I also believe this, the more we're willing to be a blessing out there, the more we're going to be blessed here because that's just the way God is. The more we give, the more God's going to give us. The more we release, the more God's going to pour into us. Are we willing to be a people who are spirit-filled witnesses to the power and the presence and the purity of God in our lives? I'm just going to ask you to stand for a moment. And there are going to be people up here ready to pray. Maybe you've come this morning and you've got a need. You need someone to pray with you. You need a miracle. You need God to break through. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up and be ready to pray. And let me just encourage you to come and uh, come to one of these who are standing here and just ask them to pray with you. And they'll pray with you today. The altars are also open. If you just need to come and maybe God has put someone on your heart and you just need to kneel and pray for them today, or you need to just ask the Lord to to give you what you need to be a spirit-filled witness, the altars are open. Feel free to come and pray. And I'm just going to ask uh, uh, the worship team as they just begin to, to play quietly in the background. Would you just begin to come? If you need to, to pray right where you are, that's fine. But let's begin to respond this morning. These altars are open. These prayer leaders are here. They're ready to pray for you. Would you take a moment before we leave? And would you offer yourself to him? to be a spirit-filled witness.